Well, I am so glad that you have joined us today, and we're kicking, we're continuing our series, No Doubt. doubt. That's right. Say it with us. No No Doubt. Because it's really easy, right, for us to doubt our beliefs, our faith. We can doubt ourselves, right, Maya? Yeah, absolutely. We can doubt other people. Yep. We can doubt other people and what they can do. Yeah. And listen, this is my bro, Maya. I love Maya. Maya is our Lion Location Director, and, you know, we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. But he's starting to claim that he has the ability, that he's like a sharp shooter, that he's an archer, he's a bow and arrow. He was supposed to be in the Olympics, but, you know, didn't make it. He was trying to no. go for the gold, and it yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. And uh, Tokyo's pretty far, and that's pretty hard. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you have loyalty. You yeah, be I want to be here on Sunday. Yeah, family, of course. And so, yeah, you can't miss Sunday. So, no. anyways, we thought we'd just put him to the test for our whole Miles City community, for the World Wide Web, to see what kind of skill... Maya has actually got. So yeah. we got a target over here. Yeah. It's going to hit the balloon. See if yeah. you can pop the balloon. For sure. Okay. Yeah. You good about that? I mean, yeah. You know. All right. Well, let's, pretty good. let's get behind the line here. All right. This is the and, line. And uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see what we can do, let's right? See. So when did you start shooting, Maya? I mean, you I, just. I got this bow last week. So that feels oh, pretty okay, good. Okay, last week. Okay. Well, yeah. that's what I'm saying. A little doubt. But you Anyone know, have any doubts out there? I'm kind of adventurous. So I like, you know, I like, you know, risking things. So. Okay, feels pretty see. good, right? I'm not too sure about this, but let's one see weekend, one weekend feels pretty good. <laughs> I mean, think about one weekend of running; you feel pretty good about yeah, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess we're gonna do this. You ready? Ready. All right. You know, real quick though, man. You know, on our last staff retreat, we figured out like what our working geniuses were, and mine were discernment and enablement. And usually, discernment kicks in first, but with you, for some reason, like enablement happens, and I'm like. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, this is a great idea. Wish discernment kicked in first. <laughs> All right, well, let's go for it. Three. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding you me? Popped it. I mean, a dude, little off target, not dude, gonna lie, first, but you did hit the balloon. That's the first shot in a long time. <laughs> I mean, we told you to hit the balloon. You hit the balloon. I mean, let's be honest. I've been hunting for about three years, but for the last two years, two years I've lived here, I haven't hunted at all. Oh my goodness, dude! <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, but that's a good warm-up shot. I feel good, you know. Let, let's if that pick, was a deer, I'd still kill it. All right, let, let's pick it up a notch here. All right, let's let's. Okay, now, okay, you think you're so good. Let's see. We've been watching America's Got Talent. Yeah, lately. I love that let's, show. Let's see what you really got here. Why okay. don't Why don't we just take it to the next level here? Yeah. And why don't we just like I'll put it right here in the mouth here. Okay. Get right here on this target. Yeah. And just like see, you know, what do you think about this? Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm a little. I, I'm a little more nervous than I thought I was going to be now at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, don't be nervous, man. Like. That outside of the target, I say it's the first time I've actually shot a bow in like two years. So that's a that's a pretty good warm up shot. And right, so well, I, and now I got my accuracy dialed in. You know, I got my okay, I got my so little uh, thing here. I'm 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 ready to go. All right. Well, well, here we go. Ready? Yeah. You ready? Yep. Give it a Are you shot. Sure. Here. Yeah. Okay. And here's the thing, man. If I if I'm a little off center, it's okay. It's a scar. Okay. Everybody wants one of those. You ready? No. They're ready to see this. Stupid. Why are we doing? This is crazy. All right. Here we go. I'm not doubting you, bro. You guys think we're that crazy? 
I mean, come on. I mean, for some of you guys that know us, you actually think, yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> you guys are that crazy, but hey, don't worry. Uh, we're not that out of our minds. And so I hope that we have your attention this morning because we're talking about something pretty serious today as we talk about, you know, there is no doubt. And you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Maya would have missed the target. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I would have been seriously injured if we actually would have went through with that. And that's what we're talking about today. But not about Maya, no doubt, missing the target, but all of us missing the target. But we're not talking about a bow and arrow. We're not talking about an archery situation. We're talking about something so much more serious, so much more life-threatening, so much more intense. And it's this powerful three-letter damaging word that none of us like to talk about this word right here, sin. In the original Greek language, the word is called hamartono, which is the idea that comes from a archery uh, bow and arrow concept to miss the mark. Sin is the idea of missing the mark. And when they would use this term back in this culture, they would use it where kings would bring in hundreds of their best archers and they would have this contest to put their archers to the test. And if they missed it just by a little bit or if they went off target, they would completely in that moment fail. They would only get one chance. And if they missed it, they would fail and they would have consequences for it. And so as we continue in our series, no doubt, we're going to be looking at 1 John. And 1 John is going to be putting us to the test to make sure that we understand the concept of missing the mark. To make sure we have a good understanding of what it comes to when we think of the idea and the theology of sin. Of what it is or what it's not. Or how do we deal with it as we continue to live in our lives on this earth. But before we unpack this. Before we unpack this really, really important truth that we need to embrace for ourselves and for our lives, I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, thank you for drawing us here today online. And I ask that you would help us to clear distractions and just hold on to what you want us to hear today. Help us to, to get a good understanding of this truth that you have preserved for us. Please control my mind and my speech as I communicate. And we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, open up to the book of 1 John. If you have a hard time finding that, it's really easy. Just go to the back of the Bible. Go five books in from Revelation, and you will find there the book of 1 John, written by John himself, who was one of the 12 disciples, was one of the three in the inner circle of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to all the amazing miracle things that Jesus has done, uh, dying on a cross, rising from the dead. He saw it all. And uh, we believe, we're not completely sure, but we believe that he was writing this letter in a valley in, in a really tough spot when he was on the island of Patmos in a work prison camp, writing this letter to let people know uh, that they were struggling. The early church in Ephesus and in Asia Minor was struggling with false teachers. And people in the early church were beginning to question their beliefs, were beginning to, to question, you know, the, the truth of Jesus, and they were just really struggling at that time. And maybe if you're honest, uh, that's maybe where you're at, where, where you're here, you're, you're exploring, and you're not quite sure why you believe what you believe, then, man, you're in good company. We're glad you're here. Our vision's helping people move towards God, and we know that we're at all different types of levels. And so as we continue in the book of 1 John, we're going to start off in chapter 1, verse 5. And I thought we'd just kind of take the whole thing in its context as we go through chapter 2, verse 2. So let's read it together. Here we go, 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness. 
darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow, a whole lot there. So let's unpack this together. So let's go back to verse 5 as it tells us this. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, saying, we want to take what we have heard and what he has told us, and we want to give it to you so that you can embrace these truths and get away from false teaching. And here's what he starts off with. He says this. He says that God is light. We'll go here. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That God is the source of all light, of all all life, and he is the source. There's not a hint, there's not an ounce of evil or darkness in him. Don't doubt that. God is light, and that is why as we run towards him, we run towards him because he is the source of light. He is the source of life, and there is this complete contrast between God and everything else, and that's what creates a problem for us. That's what's created a problem for the human race, because last time I checked, I've missed the mark. Last time I checked, you've missed the mark. Last time I've checked, I've dabbled around in stuff and sin and darkness. Last time I've checked, you've been doing the same thing. Last time I checked, I've got good in me, but I've also got bad in me. Last time I checked, you've got good in you, but you've also got some bad in you. And for the wages of one sin equals separation from God, we've missed the mark. And so this is serious. This has caused this major separation. And so then John wants to put the early church, he wants to put us, in a sense, to the test to make sure that we understand what it means to miss the mark and to not have any doubts of the seriousness and the certainty of our sin problem. Because he was hearing things. He was hearing things and different claims about how people thought about themselves or how they thought about sin or they were having these false claims. And so he wanted to clean up the false teachings. And so here's the first false teaching. Here's the first false claim that he wanted to correct for the early church. It says this. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so the first claim that he addresses is this idea about sin just kind of uh, being small, if you will. That, 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 that sin is just small. It, it's just, you kind of just shrug it off, if you will. Like, it, it's really no big deal. And, and we can just kind of ignore it or we can begin to, to minimize it or just kind of diminish it. And you don't really care after a while what you're doing. And it's just really not that big of a deal. Or maybe you try to redefine what sin is or you try to justify it. And so when you hear scriptures like this, it kind of hits you maybe in, in, in a different way where it says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin 
or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then maybe when you read that, you start to get tempted to think, well, that must not be right. I mean, whatever is deemed wrong must be not that wrong because I need to base my truth off of my feelings or my personal preferences or my personal freedoms. And so this must be a mistake, right? This has to be a mistake, right? I mean, this must be written, you know, because of the different time era that, you know, this was in a different context, so it doesn't necessarily mean or it's true for us. And that type of thinking when it comes to sin, no doubt is a lie. That is false teaching. The moment that we start to think that sin is no big deal and that it's small, that it's not that big of a deal, is dangerous. And so the question today is, are there any areas of sin in your life that you just shrug off or you think is small and you just keep on doing it? Are there any areas like that for your life? I, I, I have shared this many different times here in, in, in our church that, that early on in in my journey, when Jesus would say, if you look lustfully at a woman that you've committed adultery in your heart, for the longest time, I would just kind of like shrug it off. Like, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it, you know, it, it, is, it, is what it, it is what it is. I mean, I was kind of born that way, you know, to, to, to like women. And so I, I, just, I, I just have to deal with it. And so for a long time, I just shrugged it off and thought it was small. And and then as I continue to mature in my faith and continue to move towards God, I realize, no, 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 this is not a small deal. This is a big deal, and I need to attack this. I need to be on the offense with this. And so many, many years ago, I, I, I literally put my life on lockdown. And even to this day, my life when it comes to technology is on complete lockdown, where anything that I try to search on my computer will get flagged or there's pictures that are constantly being taken of my screen and sent to my accountability partner uh, that's a staff member here at our church or it goes to my wife. My phone is completely on lockdown. That I, have, I don't have the ability to download apps or upload apps because Jen is the only one, my wife Jen, is the only one that has the passcode. When I post on social media, I hand her my phone so that I can post and then I hand it back to her so she takes it on and off my phone because I don't want to be distracted. Now some of you would be like, well, that, you seem a little weak there. You seem a little way too vulnerable. Are you that vulnerable, Travis? Well, not right now I'm not. But in six months, who knows? Maybe I could be. And I know that the stakes are high and I don't want to fall into that. I want to make sure that I keep my temptations and the sins a big deal in my life. And so, yes, I'll lock myself down. And yes, it is convenient. And yes, it might seem like I'm treating myself like a child. But it's so important that I've learned in my journey that we need to take our sin seriously and that it's not small and that it is a big deal. Are there any areas in your life where you're not making your sin a big deal that you need to make a big deal and not shrug off and have action and be proactive and be on the offense against it? It continues, the other false claim that he talks about in verse eight, it says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
The next claim that, that, that he is warning the early church about is this idea that you can get to the point of reaching sinless perfection. That when it comes to sin, it's not only, you know, the, the false teaching is that it's small, is that you get to the point where you're incapable of sinning. That, that you're not really that bad and that you've overcome and that you can reach this or have reached the sinless perfection. And you just need to hear this clearly. This is a flat out lie. There is only one who attained sinless perfection that walked on this earth, and that is Jesus. We're reminded of that in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, where it says, This high priest, Jesus, of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. The only sinless person. You see, we, when we put our faith in Jesus, as I like to say, we can be saved from the penalty of sin, but we are never saved from the pressure of sin. So John is trying to get everyone to be clear is that you can never reach this sinless perfection. And he was dealing with a bunch of people that were starting to boast in their holiness and they were proclaiming that they were holier than everyone else. Almost in a sense of pointing out everyone else's sin as way worse than their sin and never really looking at their own sin. And this is a very dangerous false teaching when it comes to sin that we need to realize and we need to address in our hearts it's very dangerous when we as Christians can start to have, you know, these thoughts in, in, in our minds of like, you know, you know, you know thinking that, you know, I, I can't believe them. Or uh, how could they do such a thing? Or, or how could they be like that? I mean, would you just look at them and can you imagine uh, doing what they're doing? And that type of attitude is actually what makes people not like Christians cannot stand Christians is when we have that type of attitude where we're more concerned about pointing out everyone else's sin instead of mourning about our sin. And here was a question that God hit me upside the head this week is this question right here. Are you more disgusted by other people's sin or are you more disgusted by your own sin? Let that sink in. When you evaluate your own life, are you more disgusted by pointing out everyone else's crap or are you more disgusted and mourn over your own junk, over your own sin? I mean, it's really interesting when you study the greats, when you think of, uh, you know, uh, Spurgeon and, 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 and uh, Moody and uh, William Carey, Taylor Hudson, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, on his, on his tombstone, you know what he requested to be on his tombstone, where it said, William Carey, a wretched poor and helpless worm on the kind arms I fall. On kind arms I fall. I'm a wretched worm, he says. Because these great giants of the faith, the more that they got closer and closer to the light of God, the more that light revealed all of the depravity and the junk in our lives, and we realize how much God is holy and how much we are not. May we never get too proud. May we never boast in where we are compared to anyone else. Are you more disgusted by your own sin or are you more disgusted by other people's sin? Here's the other false claim that he was attacking. It says, if we claim, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. His word is not in us. This is the idea of believing that your sin just never existed. 
It just flat out never existed. That, 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 that the nature of how I was born, there is no sin nature in me at all. Gnosticism, the way of thinking, denies. That's the Gnosticism way of thinking that denies the reality of sin and evil. And I'll be real, I, I don't meet many people that think this way. But if you do, or you struggle with that, I just want you to, you know, as you read that passage, it literally says, if you say that you have no sin and it never existed then you're literally flat out calling God a liar. And not only are you calling God a liar, you're actually believing that you are not in need of a savior. And so I would encourage you, I don't have much more to say on that except for search out your logic in that. Search out your heart in that. And then chapter two, he goes on and he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to help guide you out of sin, to have a right thinking of sin. You're no longer slave to sins. You have a spiritual means to have victory over sins, but do not belittle the sin. Don't think the sin is small. Don't, 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 don't think that you are incapable of sinning, and don't think that it never existed. And then he says this, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It says that we have an advocate, which the word advocate comes from the Greek word. The original Greek word is parakletos, which is the idea coming from a legal term, a legal setting in the Greek language, meaning it's an aid that comes alongside of us. So picture the courtroom. The Father is the great judge, and we as humans are on trial, and we are the guilty, accused sinner. And then Jesus, our advocate, swoops in almost like our defense attorney, but in a really, really different way because he wasn't trying to prove us to be innocent because he knew we were guilty. But instead of trying to prove our innocence, he was going to make us innocent by making a deal with God in a sense of giving his life, being a substitute for us. And so it says that he became the propitiation. What does propitiation mean? Literally, it's this idea of he appeased the penalty that we all deserve. He not only appeased the, the uh, 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 penalty, but Jesus was appeasing and he was satisfying the penalty for our sin. It was unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And so the moment that you get to the point to realize that, yes, I have missed the mark, and the moment you realize that, yes, I've missed the mark, and because I've missed the mark, how do I get right with God? And, and you trust and put your faith in Jesus. The moment that you do that, you are forgiven. And the moment of that forgiveness, no doubt, has the power to forgive you and cancel out the penalty of your sin once and for all. The death and resurrection, we can never doubt, has the power to forgive us of our sins completely. It's unbelievable. But maybe you might be asking the question, okay, okay, well maybe if I put my faith in Jesus and he forgives me of my sins and I do that, okay, but what if I keep on sinning? Do I gotta keep on asking forgiveness? Or maybe you think I don't wanna become a Christian I'm afraid to become a Christian because I don't think I'm going to hold out that long and I'm just going to go ahead and keep on sinning, so why even bother trying? And you know, you're right. As long as you're here on this earth, you are never going to stop sinning. So the question is, is 
Should, you, should we doubt God's forgiveness? Is it powerful enough to keep us forgiven as we keep on sinning? Do I need to get resaved every time I mess up? John faced this question, and he got to see Jesus answer this with an illustration that Jesus modeled to him and the other disciples. He wrote about it in John chapter 13 in his old age after he experienced so much. And check this out. Maybe you've heard this event, but maybe you never caught this powerful truth that happened at the Last Supper right before Jesus was going to be arrested and crucified. Here's what it says. It says that Jesus got up from supper and he laid his outer garments aside and he took a towel and he tied it around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and he began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with a towel which he had tied around himself. So it says that he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, you're washing my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, okay, well then fine, Lord, then just not wash only my feet, but also wash my hands, wash my head. I mean, just, just wash everything. And then Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean. And so, this truth that Jesus was modeling is, is saying that, hey, once you've put your trust and faith in me, once you've allowed my forgiveness to, to receive my forgiveness for your life, you're clean. Because of my blood on the cross, when it comes to your sin and when it comes to you missing the mark, look at you're covered. You are covered by me. My power of my forgiveness has completely canceled the penalty of your sin. So we're covered. But then again, you might be saying, well, Travis, the problem is, right, like I'm going to, tomorrow, today, guess what? I'm going to miss the mark. You're right. You're going to miss the mark again. Yep, you're, you're, you're going to blow up on your spouse today. Uh, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fall lustfully today. You're, 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 you're going to cheat someone. You're going to steal. You're going to do whatever you're going to do. You're going to miss the mark once again. But guess what? You're still covered. Don't doubt the power of God's forgiveness in your life. But then what do we do? with the sins that we're going to keep continually doing? Do, do we go back and seek forgiveness when we've already been forgiven in a sense? Well, a truth that we just really need to, to, to grasp and to understand, because sometimes this can be confusing. This can be confusing for me too, is this. Just because our sins, our sin is continually covered, just because our sins are continually covered, always, doesn't mean that we don't continually confess doesn't mean that we don't continually confess. Another way of thinking about this is, is this, is, is uh, when it says, you know, Jesus, right, he's covered the eternal penalty of our sin once and for all, but we still need to go to him to deal with our earthly pain of sin. We still need to go to our Father and not just walk around with, with these 
with these. We need to address the arrows. We need to address the missed mark because our Savior is our doctor. He's our healer to help heal us from the pain of our earthly sin as we continually walk. And that's why when he told Peter, yes, once, once you've bathed, once you've allowed my forgiveness to cover you, you're covered. But you still need your feet to be washed by me as you walk through the dirt of this life. You need to come for me, to me to let me heal the wounds of your life. Do you doubt the power of God's forgiveness? God's forgiveness is so powerful. Jesus only needed to die once. You don't need to keep getting resaved and resaved and resaved. Once you've truly trusted Jesus to be your savior, covered. And then after you're covered and you mess up, you go back to your father and you address it and you confess it and you mourn and you're sorrowful over your sins. And he is faithful and just to keep cleaning you up, keep cleansing you over and over again. Do you trust in the power of God's forgiveness? When it comes to you missing the mark in your life, are are you belittling an area of your life? Do you think you're just, ah, it's no big deal. You're brushing it off, you're ignoring it. Uh, is, there, is there an area in your life where you're, you're, you're more disgusted by other people's sin than your own sin? Where you're starting to kind of boast of how holy you are in comparison to God and you're not really addressing the sin in your own life? Have you ever trusted in the power of God's forgiveness? to save you from the penalty of your sin? Well, if you haven't, I wanna give you that opportunity right now because it's it's, it's there for you. He's your advocate, he's fought for you, he died for you, he rose again for you. And so, wherever you're watching, I just wanna invite you. The scriptures say that all who call upon the name of Jesus to save them from the penalty of them missing the mark will be saved. And so wherever you're watching right now, I just want to encourage you to say, Father, here I am. I trust in your forgiveness to cleanse me. I trust in the power of your forgiveness to heal me. I admit today that I have missed the mark. And I thank you for dying for me, being my advocate, being the propitiation, the appeasement, the satisfier to save me from my sin. And so right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we keep praying, for those of you that really meant that, that that, that truly put your faith in Jesus, the scriptures say that you will not perish, that you will not miss the kingdom of God but that you will experience the kingdom of God and that kingdom lasts forever and your life begins now. Father, I just ask for those who have put their faith in Jesus that you would give them the strength to not doubt. When they start to waver and wonder if they're really saved or if they're really forgiven, that they will not doubt that they're covered and that the power of your forgiveness is just unbelievable and stretches and lasts forever and that no one can take it away. And so, Father, we're sorry when we screw up. We're sorry when we ignore you. Help us to address it. Help us to not ignore it. Help us to lean into the power of your forgiveness. We're so grateful. We pray this in the power of your son's name.
Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you made the decision to put your faith in Jesus and trust in the power of his forgiveness, man, we just, we don't want you to walk alone. And so you can just text the number on the screen uh, right there, 94,000 Miles City. And one of our team members just can't wait to get up with you and just uh, celebrate with you and answer the questions that you most likely have. And so before you go out and, you know, keep driving or, uh, you know, go mow the lawn or whatever you're doing today, uh, I, I just want to encourage you to keep processing what we've heard today from God's truth through First John. And um, there's a great song here that um, just focuses on the most amazing, beautiful forgiveness of God. And it sometimes it doesn't make any sense. It's like, how could it be? Um, but it's real and it's, and it's unbelievable and it's so powerful and so stretching. And so let's keep moving towards God as we process the power of his forgiveness.
Please. 